Every episode of The Angry Chicken is made possible by our amazing patrons over at patreon.com slash tack. For more of Jocelyn's content, check out jossplays.com. And if you can't get enough of Ridiculous Hat, follow him over on Twitter at Ridiculous Hat. The Angry Chicken is a production of A-Move TV. Time's up. Let's do this. You smell like a leopard gnome! I knew it! So hot! A podcast about Hearthstone and Battlegrounds. This is The Angry Chicken! the intro i almost forgot to start the show hello everyone and welcome to the angry chicken i'm your host jocelyn and joining me as always is my wonderful co-host ridiculous hat how are you doing after theory crafting today hat uh... <laughs> is that a good uh or a bad uh <laughs> yes I'm overwhelmed <laughs> and hungry, but also happy to talk about these cards when we're fresh off of vibing with them. Um, it was really, really fun today. Had a grand time. Like we've been to a bunch of these. The done a couple rotation ones. Like we did the voyage one, and then we did this one. Um, really distinct feel for dealing with the rotation, but this was definitely a little bit different than last year's, and I think in a positive way. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the core set in particular, I noticed a lot of cards either from core that have been in there, but now have a little bit more of a use case like Doomsayer or like old favorites. Like we saw some Zilliacs today and that was it was just like, oh, Zilliacs is back. Like it's been long enough that we can appreciate them again now. <laughs> so I think that this core rotation uh, or I don't know, does, does it count as a rotation, an update, a, a whatever? Update seems uh, fine. I, update, update seems yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, because it's not really rotating. Yeah, so uh, the core update, I think, has had a, the most impact this time versus the other core sets that we've had at the start of standard years. So I feel like uh, we're going to see a lot of core cards, which is obviously amazing for anyone who's like a budget or returning player. So I think that this is they made some really good changes with the core set and that was really visible today in theory crafting. Now, obviously, we have the theory crafting caveat, the little asterisks here saying, you know, there were deck building conditions that won't exist on live. But still, uh, it was nice to see a lot of those cards for me. Yeah, it's I'm looking through the list, a card that was added back to core. Uh, I, I saw one in every class and in neutral, like Every single uh, class had some impactful return. Illidari Studies was a big deal. We got Lunar Eclipsed, uh, Dragon Bane. Uh, we faced Arcane Artificer and would have lost a Fire Sale more than once. Uh, all the Paladin cards. Uh, I didn't actually see a Benedictus, but Shard of the Naru, definitely important. They've stuck around. Eviscerate, Grand Totem, Eyesore, and Zap all saw play. Defile. Oh, man, the Warlock cards mm, are ridiculous. Yes. And... I was expecting things like Zilliax or Dirty Rat or whatever to be overrepresentative. Oh, Dirty Rat, right. <laughs> we Dirty Ratted into Doomsayer, guys. Dirty Rat into Doomsayer, and my heart was happy. <laughs> and it was nostalgic, but the cards weren't too good. None of the core yeah. cards were too good. Cult Neophyte wasn't everywhere. We did get Vipered a couple times, and it was, you know, I was irritated, but it wasn't too strong. <laughs> um, everything feels like it just fits. 
Because you can take the greatest hits of older Hearthstone and put them into modern Hearthstone and they feel like they belong. And it's kind of nice to have these nostalgic options that are also real deck building choices that you can make. Absolutely. So we're going to talk a little bit about our deck building choices. But before we do that, we wanted to take a moment and thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash attack. We are supported exclusively by you guys now. If you would like to become a TAC patron, again, go to patreon.com slash TAC to get access to our awesome TAC Discord server, just like Daniel M. did this week. And uh, also, there's another patron whose name Hat is withholding from me for some reason. So, Hat, who's our other patron? So, they subscribe today. I want to give a thanks to our newest patron, Climatic Necrotic Explosion on your donkey page. Oh, my God. <laughs> No wonder you wanted to save it and not tell me. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not so dirty and so wrong. <laughs> but it's just it's just a uh, there's it's a death knight card. It's just that's, a card that's yeah, on, on your my donkey dot page. Top yeah. page. You have to, yeah. Yes. The top makes it worse or better. <laughs> You're going to choke. You're going to die. I know. I know. I shouldn't have taken a drink of water right there. That was bad timing on my part. Uh, but yeah, so thank you guys so much for being patrons of Tech. Again, that is over at patreon.com slash TAC. Now, let's talk a little bit about the theory crafting news. Good news, everyone. a lot of good this time around there were a lot of things that felt like they were um i guess balanced but powerful at the same time it's like it felt like everybody kind of had something very powerful to do so then none of them felt necessarily unfair because it was like they were doing their cool new thing and then we were doing our cool new thing and they felt on par but powerful it was really cool yeah it's what i really felt the so in voyage and in barons but in voyage in particular it was kind of hard to kill people it was kind of hard to like actually end games uh you could do powerful board based things and games took a little while uh that wasn't the vibe this time it's not this is not storm when people aren't dying out of nowhere but there are some powerful turns or sequences that will just end the game but there were a ton of options updated core i'm glad you mentioned it because i hadn't thought about it but you're 100% right the worst card in every deck was good. There was no deck that made clear compromises. This is the thing that we've seen in four set metas before. You have complete decks and incomplete decks where you have things that like, they feel like they're going to wait for some piece that comes later. And for now, you have about 12 good cards and 18 other cards that surround them. Wasn't really the case this time. Felt like every deck had something really meaningful going on if it was a real deck. And there were a lot of real decks. Um, and... There were some games where we won really, really fast and some games where we went really, really long. And there were some powerful combo things or good, like some decent control tools. It's kind of hard to pin down where the format's going to go, especially in normal disclaimer, theorycrafting <laughs> caveat, no decks with less than 10 new cards were allowed. So all of the good Death Knight decks right now are basically March, Path, and Core. You did not see it. I did not see a single Frostworm Fury today, except for one in an Arubian Vizier Discover on my side that I did not pick because I'm a man of principle. <laughs> so no idea how that's going to play. Uh, you know, and there are some we have a, a good meh and ugly section uh, and 
almost all of the downside that I have to share is either when cards from previous sets overpowered the new stuff in terms of visibility and impact, or concerns about things that we didn't get to see. But the stuff we did get to see, there was variety, there were options. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say like every class pretty much felt like they had something interesting to try at least. It, like not everybody was on the exact same power level, but it felt like everybody was at least trying something that was a little bit different than where they've kind of been penned into lately, which is really good because that's what you want out of a rotation, right? Is to have, you know, the classes able to do something a little bit different. You you don't want to rotate three sets and do a core update and then have the class doing exactly the same thing. So I felt like they were doing updated stuff that still felt like it fit the class identity. Um, I would say like, not every like kind of package archetype is fully thought out there. I There were still a couple of times where I kind of felt like maybe there's not quite enough support for a couple of things, but it wasn't as prevalent as normal four set metas. I think there were a lot. They put a lot of thought into what was going to be in core and what was going to be released, at least in this set, so that you had like fully fleshed out decks instead of making those compromises. I definitely noticed that this time around. So, um, yeah. Do you want to let's get into the good stuff? All right. Number one. All right. The look and feel. Uh, just like Voyage, four set, really, really great art and sound. Um, so I wasn't paying as much attention to the sound this time. There were some really like Banjo Sword plays the banjo when he attacks. Obviously great. Um, but when, so for those of you that haven't streamed, it is very hard to keep track of everything. Uh, and so like I was listening to you and, and looking at chat and listening to whatever. So I didn't hear as many sounds, but like it's, it's fine. It was good. But the art and the animations were all excellent. Like the the rogue uh, legendary spell, it, it sprays like a, a jet set radio graffiti sort of thing on the board when the things bounce back and like passes over. It's really, really fun. Um, all the mage cards, mage cards are really, really great. Uh, the, like Infinitize the Maxitude just plays a little disco thing, and then when it bounces back, it like gives you a little echo. Um, Halveria, the diamond Halveria is so cool. Yeah, that was a, because she's a, a, a demon hunter card. So, but that was, I had to give him props. As soon as I saw it, I was like, man. I'll never play it, but I want that diamond card. <laughs> when she attacks, she says, Sorrow Core. It's just so emo. Yeah. The, oh, my God. All of the Demon Hunter cards are so emo. The cards and the hero. Just like over the top. <laughs> uh, let's actually take a second since we're talking about visuals. Let's talk about the updates to the signature cards because... They looked a lot more hearthstone to me this time around. And I was really happy with the, like, they looked a little bit more detailed, a little bit more intricate. And the fact that they were full color art, especially in this set, which is like every class is so iconic with the theme and, and the choice of, of music for that class that I feel like so much would be lost if they had been some sort of sepia tone, whatever wash or something. You know what I mean? Like this set needed to be full color. And I think that the signature cards really delivered. I still don't 100% love them, 
in terms of their frame. Like there's still something that's weird to me about the like gray heavy stone looking thing that feels not as fancy to me as like the diamond or even the golden cards. Um, but I think it's a like leaps and bounds ahead of the of the March signature cards. Yeah, it's the March cards feels like they're borrowed from a different game. Um, and for a while, some of the diamonds felt that way. I think those have gotten better, but some of them felt like they just kind of stood out in a way that wasn't great. These cards feel like the Hearthstone team tried to make a bigger picture frame. And they're really, really colorful. Uh, perhaps the most telling thing, every time I drew one, chat asked me to hover it. Uh, mm. They wanted to see them. And whenever you hover them, just the splash of color that you see. Uh, like right at the end of the stream, I hovered a, a big Kangor. And it's just so like, he like just glows. There's not as much animation as you might think. They're not really high movement. They're high color, high contrast. But I, I want some of these. I would like to chase down some of these, and they're actually harder to get now. They, The backlash against signatures was so strong, they rolled back every single signature system. So they're they're not with the mega pre-order. The, there are no more signature packs. They're just regular golden packs. They have a slightly higher chance to open signatures, I think 5%. Um, and I think there is a guarantee, but I don't have the exact number in front of me. Um, but the signature packs from Lich King were one every seven, and they cost a dollar more because you were going to get so many more. Uh, they pulled that back. If you want these, you're going to have to open a lot of packs, preferably golden packs. They're going to be hard to get. Uh, and they're just going to be cool high rolls. Yeah. And I think so. I'm trying to remember now, but I'm pretty sure the Lich King signature cards had the text on them too, right? They had that yes. like, yeah. And there's no text on these cards whatsoever. You have to hover them to see what the card text actually is, which I think, again, was another example of them listening to the feedback because like people on on a card that's sole purpose is to show off the art. People want to see the art. They don't want to see the text. So I think um, they did a, a really, really good job of like pulling that all together. And man, oh man, they look cool. Yeah, it's I think in terms of the Delta from version one to version two, which the largest turnaround I can think of in like most games ever this fast it's four months from something that everyone universally dislikes and doesn't want to things that people ask to see and want to chase so really yeah. really nice work from the team on just turning it around it seems like they're not like they're not done improving them but this feels like it belongs in the game absolutely so let's talk about actual card mechanics i think the one that uh we found a lot of success with that we I was probably going to be powerful, but I, I know I was a little surprised that, at how well it did work out, regardless of the deck that we played it in, was Pawsic, the audio engineer. So that one is the 5-4 uh, that puts the two three threes into your opponent's hand, and then they have the option of either playing them out or uh, if Pawsic dies and they're still in hand or deck, uh, then he pulls them out onto your side of the board. So I think like... That was a really interesting kind of interaction. We saw some of our opponents like killing him off in a way that would only summon one instead of two, uh, which keeps the three, three card in their hand, by the way, if it doesn't get pulled out, then it stays there. Yeah. If the board is full. Yeah. If the board's full. Yeah. We also saw people choosing to play them out, which was interesting because then, you know, that's an element of disruption 
And then we had, um, you know, people who were not playing them and just like dealing with our board and giving us three threes anyways, because they had other things to do. And uh, it still felt good to play him regardless of how our opponent chose to, to respond, which I think is really, really good design. What I really like about Pazic is it's a clearly good tool and curve, like curve topper, like a decent drop in a more proactive deck. You probably don't want to play this in something slow. Because then your opponent has time to play the three threes and you don't really come out that far ahead. Um, but what I really like about it is not only is it compelling, it's compelling for the person playing against it and really gives the feeling of agency and interaction. You decide how this card plays out. It's up to you. It's based on the context of your hand. And because of that, I don't think this card will ever be overpowered. He's really strong. If you're like, if you curve out one, two, three, and then play Pazic on four, do I kill it and give my opponent more stats or not? There were a couple of times where our opponent killed our Pazic and it was worse for them than leaving him alive. But there were other times they were able to play one or two of the mechs, uh, or or they they just didn't care too much about the 5-4. And it became just a more dynamic situation. The card has such a wide range of, of outcomes and impact that it's going to feel interesting to play with every time. I think it's a big win. Uh, volume up, which is the mage card where you draw three spells. And if it is, it has the finale text, which is the new, um, the new keyword for this expansion, uh, volume up finale, it gives you, uh, the option of discovering a copy of one of the spells you drew, uh, volume up on four is stupid. Like, yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> so dumb. So powerful. <laughs> it's a sprint where you get to choose what you get a copy of. Like, yeah, just really, really good. And there were we used it for I'm not gonna say good. We used it for lethal and for <laughs> evil. So for lethal, we got light shows for evil. We played a deck that I did not realize that my co-host was such a griever, but she is. <laughs> you can get so many solid alibis and blizzards here that it is very easy to slow the game down to a crawl if you want to when you have extra copies. So I really enjoy it with light show, but it's just a really good mage card that you're going to see for a while because four mana, four cards, pick the one you get an extra of. It's just hard to say no. Yeah, I mean, like, even if you don't get the finale effect, which you really should be manipulating your turn to make sure that you do, but even if you don't, it's still pay four, draw three, right? Like, it's still a good return there. It's just absolutely absurd if you can get the the finale effect off as well so i think like we it's one of those things where it's like it's card draw it's properly or maybe under costed of course it's gonna be good um but yeah actually seeing it in action was just ridiculous um another one that we found especially on kind of more aggressive like board-based decks which we played quite a few of today was rowdy fan um, so that one, I might actually kind of expect a nerf. I feel like the fan itself has too much health and sticks around too long because basically uh rowdy fan buffs one of your other minions and the buff stays as long as the rowdy fans alive and the rowdy fans never died. Like the rowdy fan seemed to be the last thing that ever died on our board. So I, I don't know, man, it seems like maybe that's going to need a tick of health down. <laughs> yeah, it's a three mana one five. That and it's a quill bore, so it gets hit with party yeah. animal basically every time. And whatever you pick with it gets marked with plus four attack until the fan dies or the thing that's marked dies. It was just a three mana five five in stats, and four of it has charge. Now, theorycrafting people tend to play slower decks. There weren't really too many times when we were 
behind on board because the things we were playing were pretty proactive. And so it was really hard for opponent to catch up there. Just depends what the shape of the meta looks like. But yeah, five health is, is a lot, is a large number. I don't know if it's going to be nerfed, but I do know that if you're behind and then that starts happening, you better have a good comeback mechanism because otherwise you're going to die. It also mm -hmm. made trading much easier. Like if they had a, a larger taunt or whatever, we had a 1-1, one, one, we just fan and trade and that was good enough. Yeah, exactly. Then all of a sudden we've got five attack to take out whatever they've put in the way to stop our aggressive strategy. So, you know, like it seemed like it was kind of always a good choice to play if you had minions on board. And I like that you talked about the fact that like of the five five stats for three mana, four of it can hit wherever you want, including the opponent's face like four of it has charge. Um, so, I mean, like that's, that's a pretty crazy stat line. Um, so I don't know. I think that something might get tweaked there, but again, theory crafting is not necessarily, you know, like normal meta. So I could be wrong, but it felt like it almost belongs in the surprising category because like, it's just a neutral. It's one of the ones that you just kind of gloss over. And then we actually played with it and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Hang on. <laughs> Like, I was anticipated being solid, and it was better than that almost all yeah. the time. Uh, there was, it was almost always the right play whenever we had the mana for it, and we were building our curves around it. I, it didn't feel powerful to the point that it would be oppressive or would suppress any strategies, but it's going in a lot of my deck lists on day one. Like, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, yeah, I would say anything that is kind of board-based. I mean, it's one of those why wouldn't you <laughs> yeah. type moments, yeah. Um, the Druid hero power stuff, I put this in the good category. I'm not sure if it is good, <laughs> but it seemed to beat us, which always seemed to be surprised. Like they went so close. Like we had Druid opponents that were down to sub five health, like one health, three health, and they killed us. <laughs> so, you know, like it did end up like that armor really ended up stacking and, adding up over the course of the game to the point that most of our um like our damage just didn't stack up well enough and they were able to survive just barely but survive um and i was kind of surprised how quickly and consistently the druids seemed to get up to 6 7 and 8 uh attack on their hero power so it feels like this is going to be popular, and it feels like the right kind of deck to be popular because it wasn't that great. Yeah, like I did never feel like they rolled us over or anything like that. It took yeah. it took a lot of time to set up, and then it's basically an Inspire effect <laughs> almost. And so, like we know from Inspire days, like how expensive pushing the button can be you know it's not just as easy as oh it's always there you know but we do have tour guide available now as well um which definitely smoothed out the curve in a couple of places but um you know like finding that couple of mana to push the button almost puts your turns you know it puts you back a couple of turns so i think that like like you say it's going to be popular it's definitely fun um, but yeah, I don't know how, how actually powerful it is. Like it's definitely not overpowered by any stretch of the imagination, but it was, it was fun to play. And we had one opponent who played unending swarm, which, uh, resurrects your two or two cost or less minions, which the 
armor and health manipulating minions are two cost and doomsayer is also two cost. So they they played unending swarm and then had all of these hero power manipulating minions come up and then the doomsayer murdered everything. And uh, yeah, it, it was like all of a sudden they had like a 10. I think it was 10 and attack hero power. And it was just like, man, oh man, that escalated quickly. <laughs> I think that was a guff quest reward hero power. It was 8-8. Eight, eight. Plus 8 attack, oh, plus 8, eight armor, eight, yeah. every button. Yeah. Um, and we were playing an extremely slow Millhouse we deck. We were. Yeah, we gave um, him time. <laughs> yeah. And, I don't know, like, the early game is clearly vulnerable. It was extremely refreshing to never have to deal with the scale of Anixia. Druid definitely feels like they struggle with wide boards. If you want to beat them, you can. But people will want to do this, and it will be fun. And they probably won't win as many games, though. Some of those late-game swing turns. Rhythm and Roots, the legendary spells, the four-mana one where you secretly choose to make three five-fives in three turns, because the other option doesn't really exist. It's not really much yep. of a secret. <laughs> um, there were a couple times where that popped, and then they played uh, they played Zok the new druid legendary that for each attack, it makes two taunts and they get bigger in the front for each attack you gain and bigger in the back for each armor you gained. And whenever Zok came down, all of, we just said, oh, are we dead now? And we kind of were. And it didn't happen that often, but when it did, it went from zero to 35 on the board really, really, really fast. Yeah, and I think a lot of that had to do with, again, we were playing most decks I would say were very board-based strategies. Like, I don't think we played very many things that were like murder you from our hand over top of taunts. So, and which again, you know, like in real Hearthstone meta may or may not be a thing, but um, those two taunts being in the way just allowed the druid to survive that extra little bit of time and like have those big swing turns, get those attacks in like, it just it stopped us completely. Um, so it was it was kind of interesting to see it work out, even though, again, like are the decks that we were playing were, you know, was a little bit slower. Like we gave the Druid time. If you, the meta is a little more faster and aggressive, then this probably won't work because there's a lot of setup for this hero power stuff. But uh, it was definitely interesting and fun to play. Uh, so was Mukla, by the way. Um, oh, yes, yeah. please. This, I think, is my favorite card and favorite thing to do. 10-10 uh, rush on turn six. Even giving your opponent a whole bunch of bananas, which we did to our opponents that had, you know, even two, three, four minions on board. Uh, still, Mukla was so good. <laughs> like, he's so much of a threat. You get to basically choose what you're going to kill off because he has rush. And then they have to deal with like a 10-9, a 10-8, you know, whatever. And even if they have a few minions, they run their whole board into Mukla. So he's almost a board clear. Like, I don't know. I just, it seemed so good. And he makes you burn a card, makes your opponent burn a card, which just makes me feel good <laughs> as the Mukla player. <laughs> he's a fun big monkey. Like, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, there were a couple times where we played him into our opponent on a more aggressive deck with a wider board. They had more hand space, so they got more bananas. They were able to react much more uh, efficiently because they just played the bananas. It was a real resource that we gave them, and they were able to trade back after we killed something. It's not always good. As a standalone threat, if your opponent has nothing, it's a 10-10. That's big. It's a large minion. Uh, so 
he didn't feel overpowered, but he, he sure was something we wanted to do whenever we had the chance. We also did not have the luxury of hitting him with a harpoon gun yet, but on turn four, I bet that card will be strong. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and we're going to talk about harpoon gun a little bit later on, but uh, you also had a lot of fun with Demon Hunter. I miss those games. Yeah, so Demon Hunter, just like kind of everything they're doing is rad. Um, It's not, I wasn't able to put it all together in the same deck, but I end up splitting off the decks. Uh, Outcast absolutely works now. The Outcast pool is so much better. All the cards are really cheap. And Feller in the Forgotten, for example, the Lich King card that's the 4 mana 3-3 three, three that puts two Outcast cards in your hand, one in the left, one in the right, and then reduces them both by two. There were so many times where one of those was a Fierce Outsider or a Wayward Sage, and it made the other one cheap enough to play. And it just worked. It just worked. Uh, the... Rush stuff is really rad, like the Halveria and Security. Snakebite was a little bit more awkward. That's the two mana 1-1 one, one, uh, with Rush that gets plus one, plus one for each minion that died that turn. If you weren't playing a go wide tokeny mirror match, she was kind of awkward to use. But Halveria was much better than I thought. That's the 4-3 legendary whenever you attack with a Rush minion, all of your other min- all of your minions total get plus one attack permanently. So sometimes she would trade after a couple minions attacked and she would just be a bloodlust and it was great. And sometimes you would play her and the opponent would die and that was better. Uh, But even the (laughs) worst case scenario of deal four to a minion, all of your minions get plus one attack was good. And if any of your minions have rush and just live on the board, they can attack face first and everything gets buffed. Like it works just like Rokara, little Rokara reminded me a lot of her. So, uh, I liked a lot of what DH was doing. Illidari studies coming back is such a huge deal. The outcast pool shrinking is such a huge deal. Um, it's it's fun. I'm not quite as sure on the token stuff, but I am pretty sure that Russian outcast are both real things. Yeah, and I think like I think the tokens basically if if you're creating tokens that have rush, which are some things that Demon Hunter like they have cards that do that. I think that it's more to go in that rush deck to make some tokens to help get more of a buff out of Halveria. Uh, but I think that the, yeah, the rush is definitely a thing that I, and I kind of like that it exists, even though I do remember coming back at the very end of one of your demon hunter games. And I think that you'd buffed two of your minions that were already on the board by five or six attack each. And you did like 18 damage off two minions. And I'm like, uh, this is going to happen to me on ladder and I'm going to be real sad about it. <laughs> but which I mean, feels very demon huntery, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, demon hunter was demon hunter, right? Like it's you got to do what demon hunter players want to do, which is what I enjoy doing. You play a bunch of cards and then they cost a little less and then you hit your opponent. Uh, We got to do all that. It felt very on brand. Didn't feel overpowered, but it felt like something I want to do again on day one. We also played some some Death Knight. Um, I did you play Rainbow Death Knight before I got there? I don't know if I played. Uh, I don't know if I played Rainbow. I played Dragon Rider. We had sent it played me... against us. <laughs> yes, we lost to it. It was rad. We did. Yeah. Yep. Um, I did play Double Unholy. Death Rattle, and I did play Hand Buff DK, and I played against Wickgood, uh, host of my other show, beat me one game with a wacky draw with his uh, Cage Head Death Rattle Scam deck. Um, 
That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, but no, I don't. I didn't play Rainbow, but yeah, we did face it once, and it was they. It was against Housewife, and we were like, mm-hmm. "We're gonna be fine. We're gonna be fine. We're gonna be fine." Wait, is this Rainbow? Oh, it's Rainbow. Oh no! And then we're not fine. <laughs> we and then it it made five four fours, dealt seven damage, gained her seven life, set up lethal, and we had no option. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Hand buff Death Knight, though, was really fun. I, I did enjoy that game a lot. There was a lot there that felt Death Knighty, but not in the way that we've done it before, which is, I mean, probably easy given that we've only had one expansion of Death Knight before. There's a lot of space to explore in that class. But um, I mean, hand buff we've had in multiple classes in the past, going back all the way to Mean Streets. And it's always been almost there, but it feels like they might have it figured out now because I feel like we played hand buff in a couple of different instances that I think um, Warrior, DK, I thought there was one other that we were hand buffing. Uh, Paladin? Probably Paladin. I think yeah. Paladin. And, and they all felt like we were doing powerful things. Like it's finally maybe in a place that it's figured out. Yeah, and we've had... They have gotten some hand buff cards, and Paladin's even had a couple of hand buff strategies, but here it just feels like part of the game where you can do it. Um, we played a lot of Party Animal and buffed our hand a bunch uh, here and there. Um, Death Knight in particular, it really feels like Blood Tap is a thing that you can do now. Um, we buffed like the Ruby and Swarm Guard, obviously really powerful to buff. No Muncher, the new card Screaming Banshee. The uh, the 3-6 Life Stealer that whenever you heal, you make a minion of the same size. That card was pretty wacky, and we didn't even see it in games where we had lost that much health. Like, there was, I think the only time I got it into play, it wasn't buffed. They traded into it and killed it in one hit, and it was still absorb all this damage, heal for three, and make a 3-3, and it was great. Uh, And then finally, we did play some, we played some Warrior, which was like... Felt like it was kind of okay and felt like we were doing powerful things. We played, uh, what did you call it? Me- Mechnagerie? There was <laughs> Mechnagerie, Menragerie. Uh, we didn't play any of the Steam Cleaner deck that we faced it a couple of times. And we did try a Black Rock and Roll deck where Fino demolished me with a turn six pack of the house that made 25 power. Couldn't keep up with that. No, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it felt like maybe with some tweaking that mech mechnagerie uh, board because of the dual type minions or board deck uh, might actually have some steam. I know everyone was worried about Warrior. And obviously, if you're a control Warrior fan, that is not this deck. But uh, it still felt good and kind of surprising to me because, like like I say, Warrior is the class everyone has been worried about, right? What are Warriors going to do? What is Warrior's identity? Are Warrior players getting anything? And I feel like maybe there's something there in the Menagerie space and around the, the dual-type minions specifically that might be really fun to play. So especially if you were a player who likes Warrior in, like, the pirate era, this kind of felt pirate warrior-y. I mean, sort of the rules, um, but yeah, you skipped over the thing that I put in the good because Tony Steam Cleaner, the meme cleaner deck where you play Tony Two Tusk, swap the decks, fires of Zinajari to replace your opponent's deck. You give it back when Tony dies, then you play Steam Cleaner and it gets deleted. People are concerned about this. 
I am here to tell you, I don't think you have to be. It seemed awful. And that is a good thing, because the mechanism of delete your entire deck on turn 8 is not something I want to be good. Our opponent did it to us once, and we left up the Tony and hit them in the face, and then they died. And the other time that it did actually work, it was because we were playing Menagerie Warrior, they had Brawler board, we had one card in hand, and then they did it. Which means we lost the removal, not to the actual thing. I don't know if Control Warrior is good enough to get there, and if it is, you won't lose to the Tony part. You'll lose to the removal spells, and the removal spells did not feel that great. So, you don't have to worry on opening day about your deck just getting deleted as a primary thing that is going to be the best thing to do. I'd be really surprised if that deck was actually good. Speaking of surprises, uh, all the instruments, except for like a, one or two, felt really, really good. Yes. Uh, gosh, so the Death Knight one we didn't see, the Demon Hunter one Glaive Tar was awesome. Uh, the Druid one Timber Tambourine was pretty solid. It made a bunch of five fives. The Hunter one Jungle Jammer, it made some beasts, except that time I overrode it and then lost because of it by one point. Yeah, I'm not mad. <laughs> that's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, the Mage one Cosmic Keyboard was by far th the biggest difference from how I thought it would play and how it did play. It was like two minutes, ten, ten, and stats. You said that, like, it's you just make so many elementals. You just show up. Yeah. And then uh, the Paladin one in particular, I feel like, was really surprising when we were playing with it because, first of all, it seemed fairly simple to charge it up and then also really easy to target what it hit. Um, we were kind of playing uh, swarmy early game, lots of dudes, lots of low health stuff which gave us lots of things to play to get a bigger buff on the weapon, but it also all died really easily. So it's like we would get all of our little one health stuff to die and, and you know, do some trading or our opponent would have removal or whatever, and they wouldn't be able to get rid of the one thing we really wanted to hit. Sometimes it was the... Um, the five five that we would that we made with the new card that I'm oh, totally forgetting what it is. Yeah, spotlight the one where you remove the divine shield and turn it into a five five instead. Um, that they had trouble removing because it happened so early in the game. Uh, we had another game where we had a buffed up because we were doing some hand buffy stuff. A buffed up Liadrin and that stuck, and then that ended up getting the buff off of the uh, off of the weapon again. So it seemed like the buff never fell on something where we really didn't want it. And even then, it's still a big buff. So, like, even if it hits a 1-1, one, one, it's still, you know, sometimes a blessing of kings or better. Um, so I think that uh, that one was really surprising to me because when I looked at it, I was kind of like, eh, this is probably really bad. And it really wasn't. It was great and easy to use. Yeah, it's it was just a lot of numbers and fit really well on the curve as well. Um, it worked out, and it was definitely rewarded sequencing. The, the whole set reward sequencing. Um, yeah. But this, like Disco Mall in particular, you're going to see a lot of it, and there's going to be a lot of times where it's right to hold it. There's just a lot of choice and agency and player expression in the cards here. Um, so I enjoyed that. I The Paladin list that we played did not line up well into the opponents we had, which involved a lot of mages that pinged or froze or whatever our stuff. Uh, but we did face that Paladin that just kind of like blew us out. Uh, kind of mm. just demolish us in turn six. There's something that there was in a Paladin. Pure Paladin, yes. That, which I think was the difference between what we were playing and what they were playing is the uh, light rays <laughs> made a big difference. Light ray, good card for yeah. better, yeah, for better or worse. Uh, yeah, the big Paladin stuff I wasn't as impressed by. Like it was okay, uh, but I wasn't as impressed by it. Um, you know, there might be something there, but I'd be pretty surprised. But I do think that 
it's a good time to be a pure paladin or you could do like a pure dude thing. But I wouldn't go too low curve. I think if you're not running Countess, you're probably making a mistake. Um, just because the, the lower curve list we tried, it was really hard to get value out of Jitterbug, more than one card there. Uh, and Spotlight, I'm glad I was... I, I think I was wrong about that card. That's the... It makes a 5-5, five five and you can make a 5-5 five five on turn 2. But taking the Divine Shield off your own minion is a significant cost, because that's why you play the minion anyways. And just a big number on board on turn 2 isn't that great. Like, it's fine, but it's not insurmountable. Yeah, and I know that's something we were pretty worried about is, you know, like 5-5 five, five on turn 2 seems crazy. But because there's no other effects, like it's just a 5-5, five, five, uh, and it is something that, you know, generally stuck around, but like only for one turn. Like it wasn't this thing that our opponents had no way to deal with. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's uh, maybe a little more balanced than we realized. I don't think that it's going to uh, to be super crazy and we're not going to see, you know, bubble paladins doing five fives turn two as the new meta or anything like that. It was it felt fair, which means it's probably not really going to see too much play. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm curious where paladin lands, but yeah, it's the only weapons that. Oh, and also the warlock weapon and really just all the warlock cards. I don't think we found a shell that worked quite yet, but I just loved playing with them. They were really fun and felt surprisingly powerful. Like the the Warlock weapon, where it prevents damage dealt to you and heals you for two instead, felt like it really mattered. Like it was a lot of effective health gain, and it let us play with more of the fatigue cards. And those cards were so fun and scaled up a lot faster than I expected them to. They were reliable and effective. Um, I was playing a... I'm not going to call it meme. I'm going to call it optimistic. Um, Malganus, Jailer, Warlock. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but the fatigue cards, they felt like I really want to explore those more. And the weapon is a big part of that where you can set up this fatigue to like three or four. And instead of taking four damage, you gain two. Like it's just it's just nice. Yeah. And one thing I did want to point out that I didn't know until we actually like saw the cards in play. It actually tracks your fatigue on the card, which is really nice. Yeah. So very much like abyssal curses, like, you know, how much damage is there. It doesn't just say, like, take abyssal curse damage. It doesn't just say take fatigue damage, which I thought it did. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to track this. <laughs> I'm going to accidentally kill myself. But no, it actually says as the fatigue damage ramps up, like, take two fatigue, take three fatigue, uh, which is really nice for people like me who, you know, don't necessarily keep track of all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we should if we want to be good Hearthstone players, but we don't. <laughs> so it's nice that the cards track for me. <laughs> there were a lot of player-friendly quality of life things. Um, yeah. The uh, the love everlasting, the new priest spell that says if you play it, uh, it's, it's the three mana spell that sits in, sits in the quest slot. The first spell you play each turn costs two less, and it lasts until you don't play a spell. Mm -hmm. The indicators when you haven't played a spell, it, the color of the lightning bolt over your portrait changes. The text box is outlined in red, and underneath in the banner, there is a red X that says spell played. And as soon as you play it, the lightning bolt changes back to the regular color, and the text box goes back to normal, and there's a check mark. If you miss this, it's on you. They tried. They tried. <laughs> they, they tried so, so hard. Uh, so the last surprising thing that uh, I found when we were playing today was uh, the totem shaman stuff. 
felt really, really good. Um, that list, and we didn't even get to play like Thing from Below or uh, what's the new, what's the 10 Gigantotum. Man Gigantotum. Gigantotum. Yeah, we didn't even get to play that stuff. And it still felt good. And we also didn't have Bloodlust in the list that I played. I think you played a, a Shaman list with Bloodlust later on. But um, yeah, so we didn't even have Bloodlust and we didn't even really need it. We would have ended the game on turn five if we had it. But the totem stuff just seemed to, first of all, kind of get out of control. Like if you can get even one or two of those totems to stick, the board just starts to swell in, and kind of get out of control and become very, very difficult to remove that early in the game. I think we played against a warlock who defiled us twice, I want to say, at least once. Um, and like our board got totally destroyed. And the next turn we had like six buffed minions again. And it wasn't even really a thing. And I felt a little bad for the warlock. Like it was it was very, very interesting because it felt like we were making very strong and correct plays as the Totem Shaman, but the cards in our hand that we chose not to play because we just had better stuff, like still would have been viable. It's like we had multiple different lines. And even when we had our board wiped, we had refill after refill after refill. Like it just didn't stop. It felt really, really good. And I thought Shaman was going to be trash. So I'm glad that Totem stuff is cool. Yeah, the slower Shaman stuff, I wasn't able to really make that work, though. Uh, uh, Lepton is one of my uh, uh, routine listeners, viewers. She came up with this really cool Miracle Shaman list that I just was not going to play even close to correctly on stream. And I'm pretty sure that there's something to Melomania, the zero mana spell, that whenever you play a minion, you get a random Shaman spell. There's something there. I didn't figure it out. Like, chat found a lot of lines that I didn't, and I was like, all right, I'm not going to get this here. There might be something there. I'm curious to play it more, but I'm not going to figure this out here. But the faster Bloodless Shamans, not even faster, the Bloodless Shamans, there's a lot of refill. There's not a lot of reach from hand in terms of direct damage, but there's a lot of refill. And Bloodlust is a strong card, and there are a lot of ways to buff your board. Also, Rotgill, still a really good card. So... If you're able to go wide in this format, it's not too hard to transfer that into a lot, a lot, a lot of damage. And there was one game with the, I think it was with the Menagerie, not the Totem. Um, we beat seven solid alibis. Like. Which, the fact that Mage can make seven solid alibis, I, I mean, maybe we should just kind of, because I think we've talked about all our mess stuff. Our mess stuff was kind of Paladin and Menagerie Warrior, which was fun, but didn't really have a lot of wins. So I think we've kind of covered that stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the bad stuff, because the fact that a mage can make seven solid alibis in one way or another, and I think um, volume up is part of that. Um, the, oh shoot, what it, the, it's the two mana spell where you get a Rewind. spell back that you've played. Rewind, yes. Um, made it so that, yeah, there are so many solid alibis or blizzards or like just basically I feel like the fun way to use those kind of cards is the light show that we were talking about earlier. Well, fun for us. We, yeah, we, fun did, for us, deal, fair. <laughs> we did deal 60 damage on turn eight, which is probably fun the first time it happens. If that's a re recurring part of the metagame, I'm not sure it stays fun. But, you know, it's turn eight, and they let I our Aegwin live. I don't think... It, I was going to say, they let our spell damage live, which was a big part of that. But still, um, I think that uh, the fact that you can have, like, 
more than I would say probably four copies. Four copies of a spell is probably reasonable. Once you're getting up to six, seven, eight copies of a spell, especially when it is one that is so frustrating, like Solid Alibi, that just drags the game out forever. Um, I think that, though, that's maybe not the greatest um, meta to be in. <laughs> like, it seems like Mage shouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, that play pattern is in a long gates games, there can be some epic back and forth, but also can just stretch out the games to the point where it's frustrating and where you can't do anything about it. You can't undo a solid alibi. If there was yeah. some way to get through it, to dispel it, then sure, but there isn't. So it happens, and that's just how it goes, and then they get to do what they want to do. So, uh, you know, it's not perfect if you're against a wide board deck and you're under 10 health, then, like, they can still kill you. But if it's tall minions, then that's bad for you. Um, yeah, so... The main concerns I have are mostly about old stuff. Solid Alibi, we've seen that before and there have been ways to recur it, but I think there's a chance that it could become more prevalent. And all the other concerns are mostly about things from the previous formats that might keep the cool stuff we've talked about from seeing play. Uh, I played one game with a with a slightly illegal Rhyme Spinner combo rogue. It had nine new cards instead of ten. I only played one game with it. Fine. But I played Pure Side on two and then Deadly Shot four of their minions uh in a row like that's pretty good it felt really strong right away and also if i was playing the cool deck that they were playing and all my minions got deadly shot i would be a little annoyed uh we beat a lot of people we were playing the new big beast hunter and we said oh harpoon got into coin hydrolodon that's pretty powerful we did that and they lost yeah that was i mean (laughs) it's the kind of thing where the colossal minions obviously they're good especially in big hunter you're definitely putting hydra in there But it's the kind of thing where I'm just like, oh, man, like I wish that this didn't necessarily still exist or that like Big Hunter had more tools to do stuff a little bit differently because it did feel like oh, we're just using the shell of new cards to do the thing that we've been doing since um, Voyage, right, which is harpooning into Hydra and that wasn't necessarily great. Like uh, four or five mana, or I guess, sorry, five mana Hydra on turn four with the coin. Like, it, that's stupid. <laughs> like, that is a stupid amount of stats. It's very, very hard for your opponent to deal with. But there's so much more that could happen in Big Hunter. And like, you don't have to put the Colossal in there, but you probably should. <laughs> and that just kind of feels meh. It's great for people who are on a budget and have old cards and not all the new cards. But still, I wish that the new cards were like a little more competitive. (laughs) Yeah, it's I mean, we played with the new cards and they were they were good. Uh, Just every time we had the chance to do Harpoon Gun to Hydra, we did it and it was the right thing to do. Um, And it has to be in the bottom three cards of your deck. You don't have a good way to get it there. There's no more Stormpike Battle Ram, so you can't cheat the curve. We just high rolled. But when our high roll is with a high roll we've seen before, then of course it's something like, well, I hope this isn't the best thing to do. Um, and it felt pretty good. And again, we also didn't see any of the Death Knight decks from March of the Lich King. I am very worried about my board getting frozen and then my face getting killed. Um, possible that it doesn't end up mattering, but when I'm the person that wants to play a bunch of Rowdy fans, uh, my Bloodless deck does not really like getting Frostworm's Fury. So 
We'll see if that ends up being a major meta problem. We don't know. We specifically weren't allowed to see it. And also, they have the ability to balance. All things considered, I think I'm really happy with the gameplay dynamics we saw. And the power level felt right to me. So it's just about making sure other things get in line. And if all of the things that are concerning are also old cards they probably have nerfs locked and loaded for, that's not a bad spot to be. If the if the broken stuff is the new stuff, that they have to act on impulse a little bit more and that can be dangerous. But if it's the older stuff, you know already they've playtested nerfs to concoctions or nerfs to solid alibi or whatever. They're They're pre-made, and unlikely to have a negative meta effect in a meta that doesn't yet exist. I think that's not a bad place to be. Oh, there's one more card that surprised me every time I saw it. It blew us out every time I saw it. You remember Fight Over Me? The priest one, where it's four mana, yes. they choose two minions, they fight, and either one that dies, it gets added to their hand. Um, They had damaged my eight Astalor, and I had a five Astalor in play, and they took both of them. And then I'm like, oh no. I lose. <laughs> I'm going to get so Astalord. <laughs> yeah. Which, that is actually a, a good kind of topic to wrap this conversation up on, is that we didn't, I mean, we were playing Astalor, but we didn't see many, if any, Astalors played against us. Um, and it was the same with um, the Anubricon decks on the Druid side of things. We saw those. But like everything felt a little more balanced because Brand's gone. Like that was an impactful change. That was a good decision. <laughs> no Bran, no Guff. We the only Denathrius we saw all day was the one that got gifted to us by the Fires of Zinajari Warrior, which we played against them. Didn't start in our deck, but it ended the game. Um, but yeah, Asalor is just a solid card. He was played for the two and the five. The eight was okay, mm. but didn't end any games. He was okay. Yeah, not like definitely not like it used to. So I, I feel like that was a really big part of what felt really good about theory crafting today is that like there didn't seem to be some like we've talked about some neutral cards so far today, but like there wasn't some two or three card neutral package that we saw in every single uh every single deck right which is i mean maybe it just hasn't been found yet but i'm gonna go out on a limb and say we're probably just kind of in a good place and uh without uh brand specifically as a tool things started to feel really good again and like we were gonna see some variety yeah it's I mean, it's early on, and I don't know how many people uh, went out of their way to avoid putting school teacher in the deck, because we're probably going to see a lot of school teachers. Well, yeah, but like one-off good neutral cards is one thing, but like a two or three card, especially game-ending combo that's neutral and everybody plays, like we had in Nathria, that's something we absolutely want to avoid, and I think they've done that just by eliminating brand because that gets rid of so many crazy OP strategies, right? Or like potential crazy things. <laughs> it's it neutralizes a lot of the sameness that yeah. we felt towards the end of the year and that we felt in uh in Nathria. I did not get Theotard once. Zero Theotards. Honestly, you love to see it. Um 
Dirty Rat, I played one or two. I think our opponents played one or two. They were fine. I don't know how many more that we'll see on ladder on live, but it didn't feel like a really safe thing to do in this format because some minions are big. And I mean, we lost to cage heads. And if you ever dirty red a cage head, like good luck. <laughs> You're um, gonna have a bad time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it didn't feel like I got a good idea as to how this meta is gonna turn out, but I did get a good idea of how much I want to play it, which is a large amount, a large number. Um it's pretty cool. It doesn't feel like things are solved. There's room for exploration. And if the biggest concern is about the decks we didn't see, that's a good place to be, I think. All right. So if you guys want to go see the VOD, we did stream over on Ridiculous Hats Twitch channel. So go check that out. If you want to send emails, you can over at tacpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tag us on Twitter with your comments or send us messages over in our patron Discord questions channel. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. TAC is supported by our Epic patrons. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash TAC. And that way you can get access to our awesome Discord server. Very big thank you this week to our Patreon producers, Dustin C and Jarrett F. Thank you so much for being such huge supporters of The Angry Chicken. You can follow the show on Twitter at TAC Podcast and catch us on uh, Wednesdays. Uh, usually on twitch.tv slash Joss Plays, possibly next week on twitch.tv slash Joss Plays. We'll have to see how I'm feeling. Um, Hat, where can folks find you on the internet? Twitter.com slash Ridiculous Hat is the hub of my content. That's where you're going to find me. Um, next Tuesday night is release night. I will be doing my usual stay up way too late and play every deck stream after <laughs> I open all the packs. It's over at twitch.tv slash Ridiculous Hat. Um, I start at 10 o'clock Eastern. And uh, for March Lich King, I went until 5 a.m. I'm not going to promise that, uh, but I will be playing a bunch of Hearthstone. Um, and uh, otherwise, I have two other podcasts, Coin Concede, over at coinconcede.com, make the competitive side of the game more accessible to you. And Vicious Syndicate, we make uh, we take a data-driven look at the high-level legend metagame over at viciousyndicate.com. What about you, Joss? You can find me on Twitter and Twitch. I'm at Joss Plays. That's J-O-C-E Plays. You should also go check out my general gaming podcast. It's called The Gamers In. We just recorded, I think, episode 555, talking about Terra Nil, and uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good game. I just wish it was longer. So if you guys want to hear that whole conversation, again, go check out The Gamers In. Again, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, job's done. Job's done. Job's done.